and welcome to Sustainability Solved, the sustainable business podcast. I'm Will Richardson. I'm the founder and CEO of the Green Element Group, incorporating Green Element, Compare Your Footprint, and of course, Sustainability Solved. We've been helping businesses become more sustainable since 2004. Small and medium-sized enterprises, otherwise known as SMEs, make up about 90% of businesses globally and are responsible for creating the majority of jobs. Yet many business owners who make up this big chunk of industry think they are too small on their own to make a contribution to sustainability. Today, we ask, are you ever too small to matter? And I'm joined by two people who help SMEs become more sustainable. Sarah Whale is the Managing Director of Profit Impact. And Andy Hawkins is the self-styled C3PO. That's Chief People, Planet, and purpose officer at Business On Purpose. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Will. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much, Will. It's great to be here. So, first of all, do you think a business can ever be too small to make a difference? So, I definitely do not think any business is too small to make a difference. So, this weekend, I did some uh, youth work, and one of the games that we played was to play football without a goalkeeper and as a result lots more goals were scored than when we have got a goalkeeper and in that same way even though someone might just be one part of a bigger machine or a bigger part of the economy they can for sure make a big difference and we looked with that youth team at people in history who have made a big difference be it it Nelson Mandela or Florence Nightingale or all these different things so in the context of a business collectively lots of us can make much more difference than one single business in isolation so i'm a huge fan of small businesses collectively making a big difference brilliant and sarah what are your thoughts no i agree with andy but i wouldn't even take it back to individuals you know it starts with people doesn't it so you can be you could be a massive corporate you can be an individual person it's all about the outcomes and what you achieve you know, you can have one person doing a brilliant thing or a big company doing nothing. And you want, just want that one person doing that brilliant thing. So mm. I actually think it's irrelevant what size business you are. It's what are you actually doing? Yeah, we'll be going on to this later on. But what resonates to me with both of you is you've both got two quite different business models, but very, very SME focused. And they're brilliant, brilliant business models that really help SMEs as well. And um, so it's kind of, it's um, oh, I can't wait to draw draw this out and um, talk about um, SMEs. Um, so, what what reasoning do you hear from small business owners about why they don't want or need to think about sustainability? So I don't think it's they don't they won't spend the money. I don't. That's generally I don't get that impression. It's about giving up their time. That's the big one that I see. That you know we never quite get to the top of the priority list. But also there's something a bit broader that most businesses, on average, last eight and a half years. So we're asking people to do things today for the long benefit over the long term, whereas not many, not many businesses are going to last to the long term. Is, is the reality, actually. Um, so, yeah, that's broadly what I think. It's not, it's not enough of a priority. And Andy? 
I I think you know most things do come back to priorities, and therefore they see, especially in the early days of getting businesses up and running, they've got so many different plates to spin. They just don't see the uh, sustainability and the social impact piece as sufficient enough of a priority. And you know we we get that all three of us have started businesses, and we know that exact same thing, but. Yeah. What's been interesting is taking clients on that, you know, B Corp journey or their sustainability journey is they actually uh, recognize they can achieve quite a lot initially with a little bit of education and some effort. I think, you know, their their mindset is it's this huge thing that is going to completely derail their business. But the reality is by making some small changes and adjustments and doing some measurement, they can actually get insights that help them make those changes in a way that doesn't need to significantly detract from their business. So it's almost that education piece of educating them. It's it's not that bad, is it? No, and I, it's interesting, Sarah, you say it's, you don't think it's financial, whereas I would actually not, it's not disagree. I agree with what you actually said, but also say that some businesses would say it's financial and they can't do it because and maybe it is that prioritization and rather than pay for i don't know schmoozing that client they could pay for one of your services you know because it is because it can come to that and so therefore we'd be remiss to push that aside because i think that doing what you guys do actually almost make the business stronger and more financial yeah, completely. I mean, I, I've been saying this for a long time. I use the phrase utterly compelling. Now, I am an accountant. Don't hold that against me. <laughs> and mathematically, this is just utterly compelling. Okay, because if you if you don't do this, you are building quite a lot of risk into your business. If you do do it, you're building competitive advantage. So in in my mind, and I have one thing I've learned is I need to push this out more, is that the, the ROI on this is just, it's off the scale. It really is. It's, it's, it's just so compelling to do. That's what I honestly believe and on the numbers I've seen. Well, just on that as well, I'm doing um, some research with a couple of master's students at Bristol University this summer. One of them is doing a, uh, you're a B Corp now, did you derive the benefits that you thought you would get? (laughs) So that's one of the bits she's doing. And then the other master's student is doing a piece of research on what are the barriers that stop you measuring your social and environmental impact and improving it. So um, yeah, it will be an interesting piece of research. I'll happily share that with you uh, at the tail end of the summer. But we see that there are gaps in both of those aspects of knowledge. And I'm interested to see what those researchers come up with. Yeah, so am I. I was going to say that does sound fascinating because one of the challenges that we face, which might tie a little bit into what you're saying, Will, is that there are people that like to see evidence before they commit to something. So on my first month of launch, someone said, come back to me when you've got five user cases. I'm like, right, it might be a while because we're building long-term benefit. And so that information, Andy, would be hugely beneficial. I'm, I, I'm doing with Minu Shillings, who's a regenerative expert. What we want to do is to fast forward the financial impact of a whiskey distillery that turns regenerative to one that doesn't. Yeah, what is that long-term financial impact? 
And I think that's going to be a very interesting piece of work, which again, I'll, I'll definitely share with you. I think that's it. There's so many ways to slice that carrot. And it's we're starting to learn now about that because I wouldn't have even thought about what you just said, if I'm honest, Sarah. It's not, you know, but you've just come at it from a completely different angle. And so on that, business cases for SMEs to become more sustainable, what what do you think they are? So there's a, a very good chap called Bob Willard, and he is, or certainly was until recently, on the board for B-Lab Global and Future Fit. And he's another accountant. Um, there are a few of us. And he has done some brilliant work and a lot of research. And he has built up this business case. And I'm going to be using it for the for the whiskey company when I find them. And over five years, you can increase your profits for service business by 50% if you go down this route. If you don't, you're looking at a 16% decrease to profits. Now, in terms of what that might look like, that might be bit of a drop off on customer retention, brand reputation. Uh, you might have to recruit some more people in your team over time. It might be easier if you have that sustain. It should be easier if you can evidence your sustainability. So you, the average cost of recruiting an employee in the UK is £13,000. Now, clearly it depends what function they're in, what sector, your location, etc. But if you take that as an average, £13,000, it doesn't take a lot to think right well we will very very quickly get our get a good ROI on that okay so it's potential taxes plastic taxes it's the increased cost on the environment it's the carbon price the carbon price is a big thing that's coming down the line for people so there's lots of different things that add up and actually over time are really going to positively or negatively financially impact a business depending on what they've done it's just logical and mathematical when you look at it you take a step back and you look at a, a business's P&L what's going to happen to those lines over the next five to ten years and, and it, they're going to be transformative. Andy when organisations come to you and they're kind of questioning why or what they should do what, what do you normally say is the business case? Well, I think B Lab themselves did some research a couple of years ago and they said that B Corps were trading at 28% plus better than above GDP. So they, they'd done some research themselves. I wanted to dive a little bit more deeply into that, hence why we've commissioned this research study. But the general areas that people anecdotally report uh, that they've improved on are as Sarah alluded to, uh, employee attraction and recruitment, and importantly, uh, employee retention as well. They do also, going through the B Impact Assessment, spot a number of risk areas that they'd not really ever considered or thought about. So there's a question of, you know, if you've managed or spotted or mitigated a risk, you know, that's not money that you've necessarily spent, but it is potentially money that you've saved by coming across a, uh, uh, you know, a bit of a cropper subsequently. The other uh, thing, you know, a lot of businesses that I deal with are relatively uh, new startups. So a lot of them are reporting that they're finding it easier to get investment if they're going out for private equity or uh, in VC 
they are finding it easier to attract that investment into their business because the investors see the B Corp process as being a degree of due diligence when they are looking at whether they invest or don't invest into a company. So that's been the, the main uh, areas that people have anecdotally reported back. But with this research we're doing, we're looking to see if we can put some actual numbers around that, those anecdotes. Yeah. Our friend John Brown put something on LinkedIn. He said, just because you're a B Corp doesn't mean that you're a good, solid business. And it was all around, there seem to be a lot of organisations that actually haven't got their business model properly sorted yet. And they become a purpose-driven business, you know. And I think what resonated with me on that post was I, I see it myself I think some of the first B Corps one of the reasons why they were B Corps quite early on was because they had solid business models they were very good at what they did and now we're getting this trail of companies and organizations that listen and what that 26% you know that you said everyone knows about that and they go oh well I don't really need to necessarily make sure my business model is really good i'll just become a b corp and then more more businesses will come and use me and i don't know i i know this isn't in our line of questioning but i think it's really important to talk about it's really important and, and in fact somebody from innovate uk spoke to me about this and they they are actually quite worried about this what they're seeing is newer businesses coming in and really looking to establish purpose-driven businesses which is great okay but what some people of these people they're they don't want to align themselves with money because they, they they think it doesn't fit with purpose you know they think right it's all about saving the planet and looking after people and that's hugely important. So they don't get the business model right, the financial model underneath correct. And, and, and they, are, they are worried. So you've got two different groups of people. You've got the profit growth over here and the purpose growth over here. You need, you absolutely, we should not, um, we should not mistake financial planning actually for, you know, hard-nosed profit growth. They're two different things. You've got to have solid financial plans in place to protect your people as well and your suppliers. You've got to have that in place. To be an ethical business, actually, you need to have sound financial plans. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and we encourage companies to keep an eye on uh, on the profit ball as well. We're certainly not uh, encouraging them to, to not look at profit in, in, in total uh, favour of purpose. I think of the clients that I've helped, probably of the 300, 50 have been startup-y, uh, you know, or year one, and 250 have been more established. But all of the clients that I've worked with have generically been quite good clients in the first place. You know, they, they're purpose-wise. Yeah. I've not had to sort of convert them from devil incarnate into angel Gabriel. They've all been good eggs in the first place. <laughs> But what this has done is, is enabled them to focus on some areas that they're missing out on. But when you come back to pure customer service, decent product, repeat buy, referrals, those kinds of things, if you're missing out because your service is poor or if the product that you're selling is poor, your business model is not going to survive. No matter uh, what level of purpose you might put around that, 
if you're promoting a poor service or a poor product, you're going to be found out and you're going to be found out quite quickly. And I don't think just because you're a B Corp, A, stops you from being in that zone, as it does with any others. I think perhaps, Will, clients have got a higher expectation of a B Corp that their service is by definition going to be exemplary and their product is going to be exemplary. So I think there's a, a slight challenge with, with that. But yeah, you've got to have good product and good service in order to then be purposeful. And that's what worries me, actually, is, and it doesn't surprise me that Innovate UK have spoken to you, Sarah, about it, because what we'll have, and the knock-on effect, is actually really quite bad, is you've got people working in businesses, and they'll have friends that work for said profit-driven business, and then you've got friends that work in said purpose-driven business that actually aren't doing an amazing job, but they are such a great place to work for. You know, they've got all the um, stuff that's coming out, but their cash flow is literally going down and they won't be around in a year and a half, two years. They potentially may get investments from high, you know, seed rounds, high net worth individuals that believe in what it is that they're doing. And, but yeah, actually the amount of money they're spending to retain those people and make them all feel very good about themselves is not a business in itself. We all hear about people that give presents to people and they're like the best people in the room because you always get a present off that person. But actually, that doesn't mean that they're a nice person. It just means they're very good at giving presents. And you could, I look at that as a business and I, it worries me because actually businesses that are profit driven and purpose-driven have to almost fight against those other businesses and they have to justify why they're not going to give all the perks because actually they've also thinking about the profit. Yeah, it is a worry. We do need the finance community and it is coming, but we need the finance community to step into this space. I think there's a little bit of fear that people don't still don't quite understand. Well, what what... What is this? And they see it as a little pillar that sits outside of business, but actually it's something that needs to be integrated throughout. So I think once we get there, we will be okay. But for businesses now setting up, I mean, for profit impact for my business, it's a real balancing act because I'm I've got to stay financially sustainable and I've got to find clients. It's really, really quite tight. And I've written in my impact report, this I've not released it yet, but I've put my financial strategy in profit impacts impact report. And my decision is that I am not going to be seeking investment until I see us move out of the early adopter phase. Because effectively what Mm. you're trying to do, what you will be doing by getting investment when you don't have enough customers, you're actually paying for somebody to come in Mm. and pay for your team. I, yeah. and, and that you have to have a sustainable business model before you get that investment be, because it's I, I feel it's unethical actually um, and yeah. it will just put the founder team under real pressure to get returns for those investors mm. so yeah it's a really important piece look going back to so the advantages that small businesses have over larger larger businesses corporations what are they when it comes down to sustainability do you think I mean, what I've seen is that um, small businesses compared with large businesses is large businesses have generally got a lot of process and policy in place, 
but are less able to maneuver and make changes within the business whereas smaller businesses are much more nimble uh, in terms of their decision making process but they are generally devoid or certainly light of the processes and policies that, that put some uh, you know solid foundations into the business so it's two slightly different and some are obviously in the, in the middle but when we're taking smaller clients through B Corp, it's more about you don't need to change your uh, ethics or um, you're doing a lot of the good stuff anyway. Let's put some process and policy around there. Whereas the larger clients that I've worked with have got a lot of process and policy, but they might need to uh, have a look at some of their uh, decision making that they're making to see can they move slightly, but they take longer to make those decisions and put those changes into the business. So there are two slightly different models, but they're kind of working together, working towards a, a common middle ground. Yeah, I, I would agree completely with, with Andy there. We keep agreeing, Andy, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I guess we live in it, so we, we see it a lot, don't we? I mean, I, I think it's elephant versus cheetah. You know, if you're a large company, it's going to be really tricky to make change quickly. Yeah. So I'm not saying you won't get there, but you'll be moving at yeah. an elephant's pace because you've got so many yeah. different teams and structures and processes to, to, to really change. And that's why we see greenwashing. It's not necessarily because the businesses want to kind of pretend they're doing something. It's actually it's actually really hard when you're a big business. Um, just the mm. sheer complexity of it. Um, whereas if you're a smaller business, you're more like a cheetah and you can move much quicker. I think with small businesses, and Andy is, Andy is right, and when you look at the B Corp, the BIA, um, and certainly what's coming down the line with the standards, which at a fundamental level I agree with, with the, the, the enhanced standards, but for some businesses it's going to be quite heavy in terms of what they need to do. So there is a little bit little bit of risk. So I think, I think the advantages for small businesses, they can move quickly. The disadvantages... There's, there's quite a lot to do if you want to do it well. So you might need to kind of prioritise what you're going to do. Yeah, okay. Brilliant. And on that um, on that note, do you think, is there more guidance and financial help available for some business sectors than others in this space? I've not seen that uh, per se. Again, I can only judge on, on the 300 clients that I've helped. But of those, 25% have been kind of digital agency so marketing pr website building that kind of sector another 25 percent have been food and beverage so we've seen a lot in that sector 10 percent have been recruiters so that's been the uh, slice of the 300 that i've seen but i've not seen any particular marketplace support specifically for one sector over and above another sector no, again, I agree with Andy. And it's something we've talked about as a business profit impact. So we were going to support, originally the, the vision was to support the accountancy profession. But the truth is there's just not enough. There's not enough demand in, in individual sectors at the moment. So it's very hard to niche down to offer support from mm -hmm. a B2B perspective. Um, but I would... There are some grants available. There's quite a few grants. There's certainly a lot coming on online for net zero. So for the SME spaces, there's a lot happening at the moment. So that is coming down. But I think the challenge at the moment is that it's a very uncoordinated 
and very bitty so you might look at your net zero over here but you're not doing this either you're not doing what what i've seen so far on the net zero programs funded by the government is right we'll fund you 10 hours we'll do your net zero and then you get to the end and and you're all oh, right okay this is what i need to, to go do to get to net zero by 2050 depending on the sector for some businesses is going to mean it's going to mean investment yeah and so the the answer put to these companies right you can have a loan <laughs> now for many businesses that have come through covid they've got big loans in their books already and so getting a loan for you know changing their their capital for, for environmental impacts is is hard but i think we are getting there i think the government are starting to pull together more of a coordinated systemic approach but i don't believe we're there yet yeah and um, you mentioned b2b businesses then so do you think sustainability is more important if you're a b2b business or a b2c business so i think it's important to both i think b2b long term it's really important so i'm working with um a large advertising agency at the moment a little bit more finance and sustainability to be honest than i'd like but that's what i'm doing at the moment to keep profit impact financially sustainable now they have got a very interesting client mix and i'm looking at their client mix and there's some risky customers in there from a sustainability perspective and i'm looking at their numbers and i'm thinking right now i know they're going for b corp okay what are they going to do? You know, what are they, what are they going to do? And the, the truth is, B2B businesses over the long, long term are going to have to hive off some of their customers. They're going to lose some of their customer base. And that's going to be a direct hit to their profit. So the brand risk and the customers for B2B are big over the long term. For B2C, I think it's short. It's a bit more immediate, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So because they're yeah. more you know they're more the customers are buying now and consumers are more mm. they will move more quickly won't they than, than b2b customers so it, it's mm. quite it's quite risky and b2c tends to be product based so yeah. there's a lot of risk in product based businesses b2c businesses because they're going to have to find a way of transitioning to circular economy yeah it's going to be harder for them to pivot i think is where i where what i believe for b2c whereas b2b can pivot all they'll need to do at top level is to get environmental impact right get their social side right and that that is that is not too difficult i don't believe their biggest challenge is their customer base and they're, they're going to have to really plan for that and have you got any extra thoughts on that no, I, I don't. I don't see it particularly being, uh, you know, harder or easier compared with B two B or B two C. I think you know they've both got different, slightly different challenges. One of the differences I do see is service related versus product related. I think service can change and make the changes more easily and more quickly than product related businesses, but product related businesses can make, uh, you know quite big differences with some small changes if you're a service related business your bar is not set very high in the first place because you're not producing an, an awful lot of uh, car carbon footprint comparably but when you're a manufacturer and you're making stuff you do have a, a larger carbon impact so even though it's slightly more difficult the upside is you can make more difference yeah okay small businesses 
of which um, we all sit in and for the most part probably work with as well uh, particularly um, you guys which is why we're talking about it but it's the supply chain you know a lot of those businesses will be in a supply chain they're not the Marks and Spencers with you know at the top of the tree they are an organization that is working within it so that advertising agency that you're talking about Sarah will be in the supply chain of all of their clients because they're delivering a service so have you seen examples of smaller businesses joining forces to make a bigger sustainable impact within the supply chain I've got an example so one of the uh, one of the B Corps that we all know and love is Cotswold Fair so um, they've got about 400 suppliers in their supply chain and they had 35-ish of which were B Corp so what they wanted to do was put together a uh, B Corp cohort model so that they could then work with their suppliers which are generally smaller artisanal suppliers um so they've been able over the last year or two been able to double the number of b corps that are in there so i think that that ripple effect and that impact effect uh, you know the cultural fair have been able to use that within their supply chain and that has then had an impact within their suppliers suppliers so if if one was to you know uh, ring fence that that total impact uh, that's been captured or improved I think the way that Cotswold Fair have done it has been a really healthy way of doing that. And there are a number of larger suppliers now that are using these frameworks, B Corp being one of them, to actually uh, try and drive impact through their supply chain. I think that's a healthy thing to do. Okay. Sarah, have you got anything else to add? No, I haven't seen it. And I've, I've actually actively tried to make it happen through some of the programmes we do. It has not been easy. I, I, I do feel that the supply chain, I think the be all and end all, but I do think it's a, it, I do think it's a great opportunity to leverage some change. It just it's not happening enough. And what do you think are the easy sustainability wins for small businesses that don't require an expert or a lot of money? For me, it would be. Uh just having a go at measuring it i think a lot of companies think we're just small it doesn't really matter which brings us right the way back to where we were at the beginning you know can a can a small company make a difference and i think uh, you know you 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 should just get on and try and measure it in the first place if if you and i were to run 100 meters well you might well uh, do a slightly better time than me potentially but you know we'd at least need to run 100 meters and set a standard for how, how long it takes us to run that 100 meters and without that it's difficult to measure are we improving or are we going in the wrong direction i think it's exactly the same for small businesses with their sustainability carbon footprint all of that sort of stuff you need to just measure it and once you've measured it there might well be some uh, indicators that come out that show you where the majority of your carbon sits, especially within your um, scope three supply chain. Uh, and you can you can then start having a dialogue and discussion with the company that is responsible for that. Uh, and, and so I, I just think it's going to give you some insights. That measurement is going to give you some insights that will help you dictate and determine that where you want to put some initial effort into. Great, and Sarah? Yeah, it's, it, it's a really interesting question. Uh, I fundamentally don't 
agree with quick wins with this with trying to you know move to a move us all along to a better place i think we could do quick wins to make us feel better um and there's nothing wrong with that and crikey we all know we all need that don't we um but i i i, I do think work out your starting point is the best thing to do so work out where you're starting somebody said something to me um a few months ago and it really resonated um you know don't make a decision without a strategy get your strategy first and then do it otherwise you just you know you're just doing something just to say you've done it and you know you can maybe post something on linkedin that you've you know you've you've, you've measured your carbon or whatever but get it yeah. right at the beginning yeah um yeah yeah, yeah. why are you doing yeah. it that's my view thank you both so much for coming along today it's been absolute pleasure listening to you and understanding more about how smes are making a difference thank you will i've enjoyed that thank you will thank you for all you're doing and uh, keep up the fantastic yeah. work and you andy keep doing all the good stuff and that's it for this episode of sustainability solved the sustainable business podcast thank you so much to sarah whale and andy hawkins I'm Will Richardson at the Green Element Group, an environmental consultancy with over 20 years of experience. For more information on Green Element and everything else we discussed today, please check the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions, you can get in contact with us at Green Element on social media.